Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. for another year. I, I am, I'm very, I, I say this all the time because I'm an excitable person, but I really am truly excited um, about what God has in store for Hope Church in 2024. And I'm, I'm really excited for what God has in store for you, for your family, for your marriages, for your occupations. I believe that God wants to bless you more this year than you've ever experienced before. I believe that God wants to take you places in your life in him that would supersede your previous experiences with God. I believe that he wants to take you into places that supersede your very imagination. I was talking with someone just yesterday. We were riding in, the, in my car, driving home, talking about how significant it is when you have encounters with the Holy Spirit and when you get to experience the presence of God. And uh, we, were, we were laughing about how, how uh, sometimes the presence of God can get so real to you in your life in a moment that you'll just sit in your car like a noodle and just go like this and go, oh, I don't want to move. God's presence is so good. You know, there's, there's things that God wants to do in you this year in 2024 that will supersede what he's done in you in previous years. I really and truly believe that, and if you'll receive it as a word of prophecy to you this morning, I think it'll come to pass in your life. But God wants to take you into places in him that you've never been before. How many of you, how many of you have gotten all there is to get out of God? Anybody? Any hands this morning? You say, yeah, I've gotten all there is. No, none of us. The Bible says it's going to take us all of eternity to, to see his goodness unraveled in front of us. It's going to take all of forever for us to really grasp God. So I believe there's more for you in 2024 than you've ever experienced before, both spiritually and naturally, both spiritually and naturally, inside and outside. You know, God's God outside just as much as he is inside of you. Amen. Some of you are having a hard time with this this morning, but that's okay. God wants to take you beyond where you've ever gone before. Show you things about himself that you've never seen before. Show you things in his word that would blow your mind. And if you'll be open to it, he'll take you. Amen. How many of you are open? You say, yeah, I just... I want more of God this year. Amen. Well, I'm excited for you. Amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to two passages, two openings. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, and 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. One in the very opening segments of the Old Testament and one in the very closing segments of the New Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm starting a series this morning that's going to go for at least two, maybe three weeks. And it, this, the title of my series is called Saved to Serve. Saved to Serve. I stole that, by the way, from the Salvation Army. If you've ever heard the story of the Salvation Army, their, their statement is heart to God, hand to man, saved to serve. And uh, so I stole that from them this morning. But it's a good title for a series, amen. I, uh, I want to inspire you a little bit today. And I want to challenge you a little bit today as well. I want to I talk to you about understanding your role in the body of Christ. This week, next week, and just in the subsequent weeks coming. Um, oh, I forgot to, oh, I forgot to mention. Let me, let me say this real quick as an announcement. Vision Sunday is coming in a few weeks. The first Sunday in February, February 4th, is our Vision Sunday, and I am so excited to share with you and unpack all the things that God has in store for us in 2024. Amen? It's beautiful. Um, so I want to inspire you and challenge you with this, with this series this morning, which will ultimately lead up to Vision Sunday, talking about being saved to serve. 
and understanding your role in the body of Christ. Amen? Understand. How many of you know you have a role in the body of Christ? You have a part to play in the body of Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you today for another opportunity to come before your word. We thank you today, Lord, that your word is full of light and life. Lord, that you can never lie. That what we read and what we uncover today in your word will remain true in our lives, Lord God. That you have proven yourself to us over and over and over again that your word can be trusted. So, Lord, this morning we put our confidence and our trust in these pages and in these things that we're going to read. Thank you for giving us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen and amen. If we could put up our slide, we haven't done this all through the Christmas season. It's been like more than a month and a half or so. But if we could put up our slide of our, of our faith confession that we like to make together, let's declare this out loud together today over our lives. Say it out loud. Thank you, Father, that today the eyes of my heart see you, the ears of my heart hear you, my heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will Today, I am growing in the things of God. Amen. We believe we're growing in the things of God this morning. So we're talking about being saved to serve. And actually, my message today is going to be broken into two parts. I'll give you half of it this morning and then half of it next week. The first half, part one, is titled Set Apart, Not Set Aside. Set Apart, Not Set Aside. Next week, the title of our message will be Towels, Not Titles. Towels, Not Titles. So today we're talking about being set apart, not being set aside. And next week, we'll talk about Towels, Not Titles. Last year, I got to meet uh, and connect with a Bible teacher that I have admired from a long time, from a distance, a gentleman by the name of Tony Cook. And uh, he's, the, he's very... Very uh, great minister, very smart guy. He's the kind of guy that we, you know, you read his books when you go to Bible school. He's just a very smart, learned person. Uh, and it was great to get to meet him and connect with him. In fact, I'm um, working with him now to figure out when it'll be that he can come and speak here at Hope Church. And so I'm very excited to be able to have that happen this year, uh, sometime later in the year. But um, he wrote a book, an excellent book that I bought immediately uh, after he ta- he talked about it, and it's, it's a book that's called "The End of Spectator Church." The End of Spectator Church. Um, this book is so excellent, and the title of it is so good that I almost stole the title for the series, uh, "The End of Spectator Church." But I didn't. I stole it from the Salvation Army instead. So, you know, a lot of thievery going on. But anyways. Um, In this book, he highlights the reality of our current culture. And I want to open this conversation. I want to open this message uh, talking and and highlighting that for just a few moments. The reality of our our current culture, both culture at large and our prevailing church culture, has become in many ways a culture of spectatorship. We are a culture, on a broad sense, that loves to be entertained, right? Most of us would rather be entertained than work. Can you say amen? Right. If you were to ask my children, would you rather play a game or clean your room? Would you rather watch YouTube or rake the leaves? Like everybody knows, like we would much rather be entertained and be spectators of something than actually get something done. (laughs) Unfortunately, our cultural fascination with amusement has crept its way into church culture. That we have created church culture into a spectator sport. Here's the problem. There are no sidelines or bleachers in the kingdom of God. There are none. I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. But we have amenitized church life in a lot of ways, especially in the past couple decades, 20, 30 years. 
There was a movement that came around in the mid-90s and even in the early 90s that really pushed hard to try to amenitize church. And, and, and the, the, the goal of it was noble. It was to help people to understand the value of church outside of the church so that they were, their interest would be piqued and they would come check it out. It became known as the seeker movement or the seeker sensitive movement. And, and for a couple decades, it really dominated the headlines of evangelicalism. And there was a lot of great things that happened as a result of it. But, but like anything, any movement in the body of Christ oftentimes acts like a two-edged sword. It, it, it's, it's really valuable on the one sense and it brings correction or it brings adjustment in one sense. But oftentimes because of the flesh of people, because of our frailty as human beings and the fact that we're not perfect, uh, it often comes with a cutting edge as well that hurts. And the thing that I think that has happened in our culture is that we have amenitized the church. We've created amenities. What, what's in it for me? Which, which church? I, I, I talked to a person one time and they said, my wife and I, we're church shopping. I said, what, what are you getting, a minivan? Like, what, this, what do you mean you're church shopping? You're not buying a Kia. It's, it's, a, it's, it's not about shopping. It's about where does God want me placed in his body? Amen. This is one of those decisions he gets to make. But what, ha what has happened is that we have, again, with good intention, sought to amenitize the church. What's in it for me? And while the church does exist to serve the needs of people, I'm not here to argue that at all. We need to serve the needs of people, and we need to have practical uh, application to our faith. We need to have great programs. We need to have all of the best that we possibly can because this is the kingdom of God, and we need to be giving him our best, right? While the church exists to serve the needs of people, we cannot afford to take that to an extreme where those same people are never empowered to respond to the call of God in their life. We can never afford to take it to an extreme where the people, the same people that we're serving their needs are never empowered to actually give a response to the call of God in their life. We're actually doing them a disservice when we do that. I remember that Sean and I were having a conversation one time and he was talking about a church that he had visited at somewhere else in the country and, and he was having conversation with those people. I don't know if you remember this or not, but the people you were with and, and they said, there's just an attitude in our church that, well, the church will do it. It's the church's, well, who's, who's gonna get the community? So, well, the church will do it. And see, the problem is when, when the church just becomes an institution that never gives you an opportunity to respond to what God has put on the inside of you, then it just becomes a big Sam's Club of, of worship services and your tithes just become membership dues. And let's make no mistake, that happens all the time. As long as the church is just a copy and paste replica of some other scalable vision... It will fall tragically short of God's design. And we look to the world in, in, in a lot of great ways. We look to the world to learn best practices, to do things with more efficiency. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the problem. God didn't ask Walt Disney's permission when he created his church. God, God, God never went to the good folks at the Ritz-Carlton and said, hey, how do we, you know, how, how do, we do this with excellence? The church was God's idea. It's his baby. It's his supernatural entity. And he's called us to become a living, breathing part of that supernatural entity. Sometimes we fall short of that intention. We get too hooked on amenities. Amen. There's churches where they don't have Sunday services anymore. They have weekend experiences. We'd love to have you join us for one of our weekend experiences. And see, there's, there's trade-offs. There's supernatural for natural trade-offs that happen. We trade people for metrics. We trade authenticity for optics. How's this going to look on the stream? 
We don't make disciples, we recruit followers. We stopped building the kingdom the day we started building our brand. And then we, we want to run around and act like God's impressed. Oh, but Lord, you don't understand. I'm an influencer. Lord, haven't you seen my TikTok following? You know how many people in Mongolia follow me? I mean, come on. I'm an influencer, God. And what happens is we get something tragically reversed. We ask God to bless what we're doing instead of asking God what he's doing. The reality is that for the past couple decades, across a number of evangelical movements, we've structured our churches around the experience of the consumer rather than the exaltation of the creator. <laughs> and guess what? I'm not here to complain about it. I'm not going to take the rest of my sermon and just, you know, be crotchety about the way we've missed it. No, let's fix it. Let's fix it, man. <coughs> All right, so we missed the target a little bit. Now we know. Let's fix it. Hallelujah. Oh, man, maybe, maybe we pushed too hard for the past 20 years on trying to make people happy. Okay, well, then let's tweak that. Lord, we, we want to make you happy. We want to make you pleased. You see, the reality is we're, we're bridge builders, in the kingdom of God. Bridge builders. This was the best, the best analogy maybe that I was ever given in my younger years of ministry. By the way, still in my younger years of ministry. Just want you to know that. I'm only 40. Leave me alone. Okay. When I was in my, when I was like 25, 26, I, I for a number of months went once a month and sometimes every other week uh, to Port Charlotte, Florida, to sit with my spiritual father, Pastor Don Richter, and, and we would meet at Cracker Barrel. And I would get chicken and dumplings, and I don't remember what he would get, but uh, we would sit down, and I had a notebook, and he had a heart and a head full of knowledge, and I just sat there and wrote as many things down as I possibly could. And during one of those multiple Cracker Barrel sessions, he, he helped me to understand this reality that we are bridge builders in the kingdom of God. What we do is designed to create a bridge between where a person's at and their personal revelation and personal relationship with Jesus. And what we do in church, what we do in life, what we do in our personal witness should be geared at helping somebody get from where they are now to be in personal relationship with Jesus. And the church creates bridges all the time. We call them programming. We call them ministries. We call them outreaches. It's worship. It's kids ministry. It's, it's, it's outreach. It's prayer. It's altar care. It's all the stuff that we do. It's life groups. It's, you know, it's chili cook-offs. I mean, it, you name it. It's all kinds of fun stuff that we do that builds a bridge to the person who's far from the Lord. But here's the problem. The problem comes when we get enamored with the bridge and we want to live on the bridge. Oh boy, this worship's good. This worship's real good. I just, yeah, let's just camp here for a while. Oh, this kid's ministry, unbelievable. And all of a sudden, kid's ministry becomes our purpose rather than Jesus being our purpose. You see, we get enamored with the tools sometimes. And listen, I'm a guy. I know what it means to be enamored with the tools. I, I, I like to, I'm, I like to cook. In fact, I do a lot of the cooking in our house because it's just something that I really love to do. So if you come to my house, you will see how many different kitchen tools that I really have. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you, I've gotten rid of a lot over the years, so good for me. Praise the Lord. But I love a good tool. I love a good chef's knife. Whew. Especially after I've sharpened it. Oh, my Lord. I always freak my kids out because I can cut without looking. And I'll just make eye contact with them while I'm cutting up garlic. They freak out. Daddy, you're going to cut yourself. No, I'm not. But I love tools. I get enamored with tools. But the problem is the tool is not the thing that saved me. The tool was to get me from where I'm at to the end result. And the end result is always Jesus. It's his kingdom. It's not our kingdom. Like I said, we've, we stopped building the kingdom the day we started building our brand. I, I see ministers all the time, some of them well-meaning, some of them not so well-meaning. They're so engaged in the building of their own brand. 
I'm like, are you ever going to talk about Jesus in all that you're doing? You see, we, we need to get back to, to I surrender all. Not what can the church do for me. When the emphasis, if, if you're taking notes or you're really zeroing in, this is one of the things to zero in on. When the emphasis of a church, ours or any other, when the emphasis of a church no longer includes the reality of my life personally in service to Jesus Christ, then we're missing something really big. It's really true. When the emphasis of a church, it, it no longer includes the reality of me personally in service to Jesus, then we've missed something. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only thing that the church emphasizes, but it should be a pretty big one. Jesus didn't kind of die for you. He wasn't partially crucified. Right? I mean, it's an all or nothing, all, I'm, I'm in this or I'm not in this kind of deal. Right? You, you, I mean... They didn't kind of kill him, right? And, 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 and if he could give his best, why can't I return the favor? Not asking you to die on a cross. Thankfully, nobody needs to do that. Only one guy could do that, and he did it already. So thank God none of us have to die for our own sins. But if he asks me, if he asks me to lay something else down in pursuit of him, am I willing to do it? So we need to be bridge builders, people that are committed to helping others get into relationship with Jesus. So how do we get there? How do we get there? How do we recalibrate ourselves to align with God's intention? Well, I think it comes down to understanding that you are set apart rather than set aside. You say, what does that mean? Well, I'll tell you exactly what it means. Some people come into the church and they feel set aside. They feel unnoticed. They feel unwanted and unwarranted. They feel as though there's no place here for me. What could my gift add to this? What could I do? What, where can I plug in? Where can I connect? Oftentimes people come into the church, not specifically ours, but, but any church, and they feel set aside. Have you ever had this thought? I'd love to be used by God if only dot, dot, dot. Fill in the blank. Anybody? Have you ever had that thought before? I know I have. Let me speak to you this morning. Let me, let me aim this message at you this morning, especially if you're one that's come through the doors of a church and you've ever felt, boy, I'd love to be used by God. I would love to serve God if only, if only I could sing or if only if I could preach or if, if only I could play, man, if only I was good with kids, if only I had more money, if only I had more influence, if only I had more time. The enemy of your soul would love for you to be set aside for later. The enemy of your soul would love for you to feel set aside. But I'm here to tell you, God's got better plans for you. He's got bigger intentions for your life. He has bigger goals and bigger desire for you in his kingdom. Deuteronomy 14 Verse 2, I asked you to turn there. I'm reading to you this morning from the New Living Translation. Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2 in the New Living, and it says, You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all of the nations of the earth to be his very own special treasure. You've been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. The, the, the Hebrew word there for special treasure, it means valued property. Valued. 
You see, some people feel that they're being set aside when in reality they're being set apart. (laughs) What do you do with valued property? You take great care of it. You put it aside. You, 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 you lock it up so that nobody can get to it. You don't want it to get broken. You don't want it to get damaged. How many times have you parents ever had a conversation with your kids that includes the phrase, this is why we can't have nice things? Anybody? <laughs> no, the nice stuff, you take care of it, right? Why? Because you love it. You treasure it. You value it very highly. That's the way God looks at you. That's why the Bible says he hides us where? In his secret place. In the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me, Psalm 27 says. Why? Because I'm valuable to him. I'm his treasure. Hallelujah. The Bible says of of the nation of Israel that that they're the apple of his eye. You and I are the apple of God's eye. We're, We're his desirable, valued property. If you're like me, your grandmother probably had some special china plates. Maybe your mom had them too. Anybody grow up with a china cabinet full of special china plates? All year long, those plates stay tucked away in the china cabinet unused. If those plates had a personality, perhaps they felt unwanted. (laughs) Until Christmas dinner comes around. (laughs) You see, we can't, we can't have the china plates getting chipped or scratched because we're eating quiche off of them every Saturday morning or chicken wings off of them every Thursday or whatever your rhythms are for food. <laughs> we, can't, we can't damage the, the valuable property by having it be common. You see, there's a movement in our world that's trying to bring the sacred and the secular together. Can I camp here for 30 seconds? There's an ideology that's creeping into conversation even amongst believers that tries to eliminate the barrier between sacred and secular. And I understand, again, I understand the intention, but may we never forget that certain things are to be set apart. Certain things are sacred before the Lord. And can I tell you that the gift, the calling, the the, the grace, the anointing, the life that he has invested in you is a sacred thing before him. What's the difference between, I mean, the the china plates are, are the perfect example that help us understand the difference between set aside and set apart. What's the difference between being set aside and being set apart? Purpose. Purpose. Oh, come on, it's so good. It's purpose. God didn't set you aside. He set you apart and he gave you a purpose in his kingdom that is valuable to him and it's his treasured possession. It's his treasured property. You may think that there's no room for your gift, but I hear, I want to tell you, you are God's valuable property and the gift, the calling, the anointing, the grace, the mandate that he put in your life, it's, it's not to be left just alone. It's not left to, to, to gather dust and be set aside. It's to be set apart and, and given to him, consecrated before him so that he can use you in his kingdom. Glory to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Wow, I got a lot to cover in 11 minutes. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are not like that. You are a chosen people. Oh, hold on. I'm reading from New King James. Give me New King James if you can, please. And then after that, I'm going to go to the message. Sorry, guys. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Boy, that sounds familiar. 
that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Listen to how it reads in the message. You don't have to go there, just listen. But you are the ones God cho- uh, you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him. To tell others of the night and day difference he made for you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. Hallelujah. You see, you have a calling in this thing. You have a, you have a responsibility. And, and I don't want to be one of those churches that's just, you know, attractional. I just, you know, we're a spectator place. You come and, and, and watch Pastor Josh dance and we'll see if it makes you happy this Sunday. And maybe if it doesn't, try us again next week. We'll do it a little better if we can. No, I want to create an environment wherein you can respond to the call of God that he's placed on the inside of you to be a king and a priest, part of the royal priesthood of our God. Hallelujah. I'm going to go just one at a time through these real quickly. It says that, uh, go back to New King James if you could, please. It says you are a chosen Generation, I love this. This speaks right to your identity in Christ. You are a chosen generation. The word chosen in the Greek is the word electos. Sound familiar? By the way, 2024 is an election year. I don't know if you know that. Do me a favor. Don't lose your joy. Come on, somebody. Talk to me. Do me a favor. Don't lose your peace this year. Don't lose your peace. It's about to get crazy. Don't engage. Don't take part in the crazy. Amen? I mean, you do what you're supposed to do. You go and you vote and you do all the things that we're supposed to do. But listen, don't engage in the flesh part of it. Amen? Don't let your peace and your joy be stolen away. Anyways. The word chosen is the word electos. And, and, And listen, it literally means God picked you. He voted for you. Amen. God cast his vote and you were the one on his ballot. And the word generation is the word genos. We get the word genes from this word. Not denim, but you know, genes with a G. All right, some of you. We get the word genes from this word. It means a large group of people who all share the same nature or come from the same stock. You know, when they're breeding animals, I remember when we bought our dog, Vinny. We, bought him from, we brought him from people who were breeding chocolate and golden and black labs. And we have paperwork on this ridiculous animal. And, and he's AKC, what is it, AKC certified. He's a, we know the name of his father. We know the name of his mother. We, we can trace his genealogy back like five generations. We wanted a good dog. What happened? I don't know. (laughs) What the heck went wrong in that arrangement? I have no idea. Vinny, if you're watching, love you, buddy. (laughs) He's such a big baby. I would tell you what, he's he's this 70-pound chocolate lab, and he thinks, 94? Good God, what are we feeding that dog? He's 94 pounds, like I said, and, and, and and he thinks he's like, he thinks he's a little lap dog. He thinks he's, he just comes and put his big jowls on your knee and he just won't leave you alone while you're trying to, you know, watch TV or whatever. Now, when, when, when you buy a dog like that and, and, and you're paying attention to it, you want him to come from good stock. You want him to come from, you want him to have a good, a good lineage, a good heritage, no birth defects. We don't, you know, we want to look at his lineage and make sure that he comes from good stock. You come from good stock. You are a chosen, a, a God-selected genos. You are a God-selected lineage. You come from the very best stock that there ever was because your father is your father in heaven. So we're all part of this chosen generation. We're all part of this big group that we all share the same God DNA. And he voted for us. You know you're God's favorite. You know you're Jesus' favorite this morning. You really are. 
It goes on to say that you're a royal priesthood. Now, now if chosen generation spoke to your identity, royal priesthood speaks to your job description. We are chosen for the high calling of priestly work. Now, this is important to understand the context of this. In Judaism, which was who Peter was writing to, by the way, he was writing to Jews, and in Judaism, as well as in a lot of other religions, especially ancient religions, the priests were in a special tribe or class of people. In Judaism, the priests came from the tribe of Levi. They were called the Levites. And they were the ones, that tribe, that select group of people were the ones where, that the high priests were chosen from. You didn't have high priests from the tribe of, of Benjamin, right? You had, you had, or any of the other 12 tribes. You, you had priests coming from the tribe of Levi. They were a separate order or class of people. They were the only ones allowed to be priests. So man, if you were a kid in Israel and, and, and you were from the, you know, the, the you were from the tribe of Benjamin and you really wanted to be a priest, what a bummer. We have some other options for you. You can be a fisherman or you can be a shepherd. You can be a lot of other things, but you can't be a priest. Peter is saying in this new covenant, everybody is in the priesthood. Everybody is called to partake in the sacred work of ministry. Oh, glory to God. Everybody. You. You're called to be a minister. Well, you mean I'm called to preach? I didn't say that. I said you're called to minister. You're in, welcome to the priesthood. It's good to have you. Why is that so important? Because that helps us to differentiate in all the other stuff that I was saying at the beginning about amenitizing the church, about, about, the, about there being a big divide in the church between those special people who are called to be on stage and everybody else. Let's get rid of all that. Let's eliminate that. Everybody's called to do something in the work of the ministry to, to advance the agenda of the kingdom of God. Everybody's called to, this, to partake in the sacred work. He goes on to say a holy nation. The word nation is the word ethnos. It's an entire people group or society. I love this. We have been made a part of an entire society of people who have been selected and set apart to take part in the ministry of God's kingdom. And we're his own special people. See, this is the language of the Old Testament. This is why it's good for you to read your whole Bible. Get you a good Bible reading program. My wife's going through the Bible this year, the whole thing from start to finish. Get you a good Bible program that has you doing devotions in the Old and New Testament. It's real easy for us to just read Romans a bunch of times. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you get to a scripture like this and you see him say that we are his own special people, if, you, if you're used to reading the Old Testament, something on the inside will go, oh, I've heard that language before. That's what God said about Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. So when Pharaoh tried to stop the plan of God, God said, uh-uh, those are my special people. And all of a sudden, that phrase means a whole lot more to you. Read your whole Bible. Amen. This is the language that's used time after time after time in the Old Testament to describe Israel, and it describes you. You are precious and special to God. He has selected you. He has picked you out that you may proclaim. I like the way it reads there in the message. You're his chosen holy people, God's instruments, to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference that he made for you. There are people waiting to hear you give God praise. <laughs> I'm not talking about they're waiting to hear you sing whatever song we sang this morning because that's praise. 
No, we're, I'm talking about there, there are people in your life right now that are waiting for you, that are waiting to hear you give God credit. That's what it means to praise, by the way, to give God credit. Oh, Lord, you're so good. You bailed me out again. You picked me up. You turned me around. Place my feet on solid ground. That's praise. What is it? You're giving God credit. And there's somebody in your life this morning that's just waiting for you to just to hear you give God some credit. The fact of the matter is this. There is something in you. Say that out loud. There's something in me. Say it again. There's something in me. Say it one more time. There is something in me. There's some gift, some calling, some talent, some assignment, some mandate, something that God has placed within you that was designed by him to fill a need in the body of Christ. There is a need, if you're writing notes, please take this down. I'm just about to finish. Don't take that part down that I'm just about to finish. It's the part that I'm about to say, just FYI. There is a need somewhere that needs your gift. There's a need somewhere that needs the supply that you bring. They say, I'm not special. I don't have any special gifts. I don't have any special talents. Not according to the two verses we read. Last time I checked, Deuteronomy 14.2 said you were God's special people. First, Tim, uh, First Peter chapter 2 verse 9 says that you are his holy priesthood. You are specially selected by God. So we can't, we can't lay back on the, oh, I don't have any, anything good to add. I don't have any value to bring. You absolutely do. God made you, didn't he? He put his spirit on the inside of you, right? Okay, well, tag, you're it. You got everything you need already downloaded on the inside of you. There is a need somewhere that needs your gift and it's empty without you. More importantly, or secondly, you have a need for that gift to be used and expressed in the kingdom of God. The prophet Jeremiah says, or excuse me, it was Ezekiel, I apologize. The prophet Ezekiel said that, that the call of God in his life was like fire shut up in his bones. What a picture, what a word picture, what a, what a word association. Fire in your bones. Can you imagine how you would respond if you had fire in your bones? That's what the gift of God feels like when you don't let it out. There's a need in you to be used. Just like there's a need in the body of Christ that's waiting for you to fill it, there's also a need in your heart and in your life to be used. You'll never, can, can I say this to you and, and please believe me when I say it? You'll never be fulfilled in God completely until you find your place of use and service in his kingdom. You'll never be completely satisfied in God. Can I tell you this? And I say this with, with all sincerity. I'm not trying to be badgering or anything like that. S some of the most miserable Christians I've ever met are the ones that are not doing what they're called to do. It's true. And some of the most miserable Christians I've met are the ones who are doing something they're not called to do. I've known minister after minister after minister after minister after minister that was not called to pastor and tried to have a church. You want to talk about a miserable human being. There's something special and significant that happens on the inside of you when you find your calling, when you find and get a hold of the grace that God has put in you. Some of you are so gifted when are you going to use the gift? Some of you are, your personality, you're tempered in such a way that you'd be perfect for this. But for whatever reason, you run from it. 
Can I tell you that I know that feeling? That was me a long time ago. That was me driving in my car down Daniels Parkway in Fort Myers, Florida, listening to Switchfoot. (laughs) I had a 1989 Honda Accord with 239, you heard me right, 239,000 miles on it that I bought for 400 bucks from a sweet little South American man. The roof leaked. It was an awful car. But it was what I needed because I bought it for $400 and all I had was $425. And so I had enough for a few quick drive through meals after I bought it. I was so frustrated. So frustrated. I'd moved out from my parents and I was living on my own with my first, first ever roommate, Kyle. Easy. My, my mother goes, oh my. <laughs> you remember Kyle, do you? Okay, all right. Kelsey knows Kyle. Yeah, we know Kyle. I was living with Kyle. It was the most miserable nine months of my life. We didn't even, it was such a bad arrangement, we didn't even finish our year lease. We bailed after nine months. We had a dog that Kyle found on the side of the road with Kelsey's sister, Lindsay. They went out on a hike and they found a pit bull and said, we should bring him home. (laughs) So I came home from work that night and guess what? We had a dog. In the ninth month when we left, my whole room had fleas. Not just the dog. I found him in my clothes. I found him, we're a very hygienic group of people. (laughs) I was miserable because I was running from God. I was running from the calling of God that was on my life. I've been preaching since I was little, since I was a little kid. Not preaching in front of people. I preached to my stuffed animals. Preached to my sister. I preached to an empty room just so I could act it out. You wonder why I'm comfortable in front of a group of people because I've been in front of lots of imaginary people for a very long time. So I'm very comfortable up here. I preached some of my best messages when nobody was listening. (laughs) I've known my whole life, my whole life that I was called to the ministry. My whole life. And I was running from it. And I was so agitated. It was like fire in my bones. When I got out of Bible college, Sean and I graduated Bible college together. When I got out of, when we were in Bible college, we used to do our homework together. Mom would buy these big bags of chicken tenders. You remember the chicken tenders in my mom's house? She'd buy these big Costco bags of chicken tenders, and we would come and just annihilate half a bag just in one session. We'd be working on our homework together. And I, and during that time, I prayed the most stupidest, ridiculous prayer. I know stupidest is not a word, but I, I, I prayed the stupidest, most stupidest prayer. It was stupid, man. It was dumb. I say, oh, dear Lord, make me anything you want me to be. Just don't make me a pastor. I promise you, I wanted to be an apostle. <laughs> I wanted to be a prophet, an evangelist. I wanted to be, some, you, know, you know, somebody with some clout and a business card. You, you know what I'm saying? So, so I could wear nice suits and travel to a church in another town and go in there, have a bunch of great meetings and have a blast and then, you know, see ya and go on to the next town. Hope I didn't break too much stuff. I'm out of here. Let the pastor clean that crap up, right? I didn't want to be the pastor. I didn't want to be the guy left behind cleaning everything up after the big minister comes through town. So I I prayed this idiotic prayer, Lord, make me anything you want me to be. Just don't make me a pastor. And then I was driving my Honda Accord. You thought I forgot about the Honda Accord. I was driving the green machine is what I called it. Driving in front of the Barbara B. Mann Theater on Daniels Parkway. Fort Myers, Florida. I could take you to that. I could take you to that parking lot today. And I was listening to Switchfoot, and all of a sudden, God got a hold of my life. 
I pulled into that parking lot. I just started to cry. I just started to tell God, okay, all right. I pushed against you hard and long enough about that. I'm done. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. You want me to, you want me to sell my $400 car? for a whopping $5 profit and go overseas and be a minister and serve in some dark, you know, corner of India, I'll do it. But I knew, even while I was praying that, I knew what he wanted me to do. He wanted me to get in line with the calling that he put in me. See, before I was born, like Jeremiah God says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before, before you even took a breath, there was a calling there waiting for you to be born. Thomas Jefferson is quoted as saying the following. The two most important days in a person's life are the day that they're born and the day they find out why. You have a calling in God. You have a place. Hear me. You have a place in the kingdom of God. If this is your church, you have a place in this church. You have a place in this community. God has something magnificent that will go beyond your imagination in store for you. Do you want to know what it is? It's the heart of a servant. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.